Welcome to the Here to Evolve podcast. I'm Josh. And I'm Alessandra. And in this podcast, we take topics from both health and fitness, as well as the business side of things. We run two businesses, SD Evolution and Fit Coach Pro, and have a pretty unique perspective because we've had a lot of success, but we are not quite at the top of the food chain yet. Our mission is to help break down these topics so you can learn in an easy to digest manner and apply them into your daily life. In today's episode, we are going to go through our top fat loss tips getting you ready for summer. But first, if you are a returning listener, you know the deal. Drop us a quick five-star review, a quick blurb if you have not already. This is free content. That is all we ask in return is that you do a quick review. Uh, new listeners, same deal. If you get any uh, value from this, go back and listen to the others. And then drop us a quick five-star. Leave us a review. Share us on social media. Tag us. We appreciate it. We love you. Diving right in with summer upon us. It's no longer on the corner. It's here. We wanted to share some simple tips to help you maximize your fat loss. Maybe you didn't quite finish your fat loss phase or you didn't start one. Some simple things you can be doing to uh, to get the most out of this in ideally, you know, the shortest amount of time. So let's dive right in. I think first and foremost, it's important to consider, you know, do you have experience even tracking? Do you know where your maintenance intake is? This episode is really for those who have not recently been in a fat loss phase and understand where their maintenance level is already. So if you have sort of been smooth sailing there for a little bit, um, this is for you. If you have not, that's a good place to start is to start tracking your intake, find your maintenance, and then you can move into fat loss. And we have a lot of helpful downloads. There are PDF resources within the SCE method app that will show you exactly how to calculate your macros if you cannot work with the coach right now. But even I'm going to throw it just on top of that. All that being said, even if you are not currently in a fat loss phase, let's say you're at maintenance or even to an extent trying to add lean mass. If you follow some of these things, you can still focus on improving body composition. It doesn't have to be necessarily about weight loss, um, especially if you're a shitty eater. There are some things we'll go through, or a shitty sleeper, things like this, we'll dive into over the next couple topics here. Um, but if you start fine-tuning these things, you can continue improving body composition at a similar or heavier weight. Um, I like to go, go uh, against the grain. I'm a rebel. I'm actually bulking right now. I got much smaller than I wanted to as I was leaning out and then getting ready for Tough Mudder and then getting sick. Uh, the number, not the number, but the weight that I'm holding was significantly lower than I want it to be. So I have been keeping these principles in place that we're about to dive into in an effort to add weight and I'm doing so and I'm staying lean. So these are things that just by doing things the right way, we can help across all facets of all these phases. True. All right. Jumping right in then. Number one. Building off last week's episode. Get enough sleep. Your sleep plays a big role. And if you have not listened to last week's episode yet, please go do so because you will quickly realize just how important it is. But especially when it comes to fat loss, you need to be sleeping enough and you need to have good quality sleep. Um, that's going to set you up for the most success when it comes to prioritizing fat loss. And if you are somebody who is listening who is... In those early postpartum days and you have a goal of fat loss right now, I would encourage you to reconsider um, simply because your sleep right now probably is in the shitter. So 
not the best time to work on fat loss when you're in those really early postpartum days. But, um, you know, everyone else too, your sleep plays a vital role in how you're able to progress and your hunger levels. Again, we touched on this last week. So if you need a refresher, go back and listen to that one. For sure. But again, just hitting on the basics. If you are not sleeping, you are not recovering properly, you're not able to rebuild what you just broke down in yesterday's workout, your performance is going to suck. And keeping strength high is critical when in a fat loss phase. As your strength decreases, you're likely decreasing muscle mass. And if you're decreasing muscle mass, you're not maximizing the efficiency of your body composition improvements, if at all. And for those of you crash dieters, those of you who are not lifting weights at all and are just focusing on lowering the number on the scale, your body composition is probably not improving. As a matter of fact, as you lose weight and you lose equal or even more muscle compared to fat loss, you are getting lighter and you're also getting fatter. Let me say that again. You are losing weight and you are also getting fatter at the same time. You're not going to be happy with the you're outcome. You're not going to be happy with the outcome. Essentially, you're making the version of yourself smaller and less muscular, which is not improving your body composition, it's making it worse. So if you think you're just gonna crash diet, you're gonna do a buttload of cardio, and you're not gonna train hard, you're not gonna lift heavy, you're not gonna do these other things that are required to maintain muscle mass, you're just, unless you are morbidly obese, you're literally wasting your time. Diving into number two. And this one hopefully is uh, you know, one of the more commonly known points, but it's something you do have to highlight because sometimes if you're not tracking, if you're not aware, it just falls to the wayside. So again, we bring awareness. That's something you hear us talk about in almost every single episode. We bring awareness to certain issues. So number two, prioritizing protein and calories. If you are not getting in enough protein, again, you are likely not maximizing muscle retention and your protein requirements actually increase when you go into a deficit, when you're trying to lose weight in order to maintain muscle mass. So as a general scale, you could be consuming anywhere from 0.7 grams per pound all the way up to 1.3 grams per pound um, in regards to protein versus body weight. So for example, a 200 pound individual might be consuming one gram of protein per pound of body weight regularly, perfectly fine. Um, if you're in a bulking phase, you can drop that down to 0.7. If you're in a deficit, you can really maximize the efficiency by going as high as, as 1.3. And if you're very overweight or considered obese, the 0.7 is still going to be pretty high for you. So it, it is okay in those specific scenarios. You can come a little bit lower than that. But generally speaking, protein intake matters greatly. And I was actually very surprised you said, you know, you think this is a commonly known one, but a lot of people... A lot of people know it, but still are not doing it. And I posted a reel. I don't even remember which one it was um, a couple of weeks ago or last week. And I had some people messaging me saying they, they get 30 grams of protein per day. That's like, that, that isn't, I don't even know what to compare that to, but that should be the standard per meal. So obviously it depends how many meals you're consuming as far as how much protein you should try to get in per meal, but generally speaking, anywhere from 30 to 50 grams of protein per meal is a good range to aim for for most people, obviously depending on where you're at on that scale. But, um, you know, protein and calories here are our most important nutritional factors when it comes to fat loss. Um, and a lot of people ask, ask, well, what about carbs and fats? 
obviously those two things matter. You want enough of both of those as well, but those can kind of be a little bit more geared towards your personal preference and aren't going to impact things as greatly as protein and total calories is going to. So if you're somebody who doesn't want to track all your macros and track everything all the time, just prioritizing protein and calories is a great place to focus on. Um, and fiber, I think fiber is important too. We'll get to that maybe, um, in number five, but you know, you have to really make sure you're consuming enough protein if you want to see the fat loss shifts that you desire. And that 30 to 50 uh, gram range, where does that come from? That's about maximizing muscle protein synthesis. Um, so for those of you who think you're throwing in a snack, you know, it's not a full meal. You want to get in like a handful of almonds, for example, you're getting in six or seven grams of protein with that meal just to get some extra protein. You're actually not stimulating or efficiently stimulating muscle protein synthesis anywhere below 20 grams in a, in a sitting. So 30 to 50 is ideal. If you're at 20, you're in, a, in an optimal range there as well. Uh, but that's what we're looking for in regards to muscle protein synthesis. And where you hear, you know, bodybuilders eating every two to three hours on the dot around the clock. The reason for that, obviously, it's easier to get calories in when every meal is in a thousand calories. Um, but it's also a situation where they're trying to keep that muscle protein synthesis peaked. When you have that peaked every two to three hours, and I don't recommend eating every two hours, every three to four and a half hours is more ideal. But on that interval, you're keeping muscle protein synthesis peaked. So you're quote unquote in this more anabolic state consistently, which is beneficial in regards to, you know, building muscle, retaining muscle in a fat loss phase. Um, so that is the explanation behind those numbers that we're throwing out there. And two little subcategories here with protein and calories. Number one, you have to make sure you are consistently tracking. If you are not tracking your macros and if you are not a seasoned macro tracker, like you you haven't been doing this for years, I guarantee you are not under consuming protein and probably over consuming or vastly under consuming calories for your goals. It, we see it all the time with new clients. They think they have an idea of what they're doing. Oh, I eat super healthy. I eat, you know, really consistently. And then we have them track for a week or two and there is a lot of inconsistencies there. So, um, just keeping tabs on that tracking is going to be the most efficient route to get you to your end fat loss goals. And I know that's frustrating for some of you to hear, but those who are frustrated by that, probably also aren't going about tracking in the right mindset and you can't be all or nothing with it yes you have to be consistent but you know we I think we talk about this all the time we have clients you know implement mindful eating days we still have our clients enjoying their life but paying attention to what their nutrition looks like and there is a balance there it's a fine line and that's what we help you guys with but it is the fastest route to get to where you want to be. I will also say while we are fans and proponents of intuitive eating, if you have not tracked previously, it is very difficult to do so. Listening to your body is not always going to be effective if you have not done so in the past in regards to tracking, if you have not done that tracking in the past. You need to understand portion sizes. You need to understand, you know, typically where your body responds best at. And if you're focusing specifically on those internal cues, especially if you've been a chronic overeater or undereater or just, you know, you've been all over the map, your body's going to throw you off a little bit. It's not always going to tell you that you're hungry because you need calories. 
You could be hungry because you're bored. You could be hungry because you just did something you feel like you're supposed to eat. There's some confusion in there in regards to what your body is telling you. And by having the background in tracking, having done this before, having completed a fat loss phase before, if you want to do an intuitive approach approach after something you've already done like that, you're going to be in a better position than going into this and saying, you know, I'll eat when I'm hungry. I'll keep a slight amount of hunger, you know, consistently to think that I'm in a deficit. Your body's just going to confuse you initially. So unless you are completely in tune with your body, it is not ideal to start off a fat loss phase without the tool of tracking. And then sub point number two is you have to be tracking your body weight and progress photos accurately too. So if you're tracking and stepping on the scale every day and comparing today to yesterday or today to Friday, you are not tracking your scale weight the right way. We want to be looking at weekly averages over time. So let's say you weigh in at minimum four times per week. That's what we encourage clients to do at the very minimum, if not daily. Um, but we, the more data points we have there, the better, obviously. But then we take all of those data points from the week and average them out to your weekly average weight. And then each week, we're comparing what is happening there and as well as each month. So we're able to look at everything from that broader perspective, and that's going to be way more accurate in telling you what's actually happening Versus comparing day to day. And we have a full episode on the scale and using it the right way and things that impact the scale pretty recently if you scroll back a little bit. Um, but that is super important on top of also taking progress photos. Because sometimes, sometimes too, your your body weight does not change. We've had plenty of clients change, what, like less than five pounds and their progress photos are massively different. So you have to factor in all of the areas. Yeah, especially again if you're eating a decent amount of calories but you completely cleaned up your diet, you can be leaning out tremendously as you maintain a similar weight. Um, but in regards to those daily weigh-ins, those are simply data points. You know, for our client portal, that's just something that we use to track weekly averages and then we go with a rolling average over the course of 12 weeks where we're identifying longer term trends. You have a graph that populates right in a client's dashboard and it shows us the longer term view of what's happening with weight. So singular weigh-ins, simply just data points. Weekly weigh-ins, we take a little more weight into in regard, not just their body weight, but how, how heavily we apply those. And then over the course of three, four, five, six weeks, what is happening there in conjunction with progress pictures, in conjunction with strength, in conjunction with biofeedback. Are there enough positives to outweigh the negatives or are there more negatives outweighing the positives? And in that situation, that's when you make an adjustment. If there are more positives happening, you keep rolling with that. Even if the scale isn't changing dramatically over that longer period of time, if progress pictures look good, if biofeedback is thriving, if good things are happening, you're getting stronger. Those are all indicative of positive changes happening aesthetically as well. So don't change numbers unless you need to. Moving on to number three, you must lift weights. You must. We know by now that strength training, resistance training is beneficial for overall health, regardless if your goals are muscle gain or fat loss, minimum of two times per week. However, if you do have specific fat loss goals, you're going to want to commit to, I would say at least three times per week. Three to four is a sweet spot. Yep. Um, and 
you know, it's important. It's like Josh sort of touched on earlier. If you're just losing weight and you're also losing muscle mass, you're getting fatter. And also you're not going to be happy with how you're looking. You're not going to achieve that toned look that everybody wants to achieve if you're not lifting weights. So it is a necessity in our eyes for fat loss. When we talk about three to four days a week, that's not, doesn't have to be three to four hours, five or six hours. We're not in there for 90 to 120 minutes. We have lives, we work, we have kids, we have X, Y, and Z, depending on who you are and what you do. You can get an effective workout in in 20 minutes if you needed to. 30 minutes would be great. 45 minutes is a killer workout. The longest workout I have now, and like I have the time to do more, but I don't, is 60 minutes. I'm typically, it's usually 45. It can be as short as 40, and it's never more than 60. Uh, for those of you who are in the SDE Method app, you know, all of our programming, that's what Alessandra and I follow, and we build out different variations of those things um, based on what you have in regards to equipment, time available, how many days per week you want to train. But those are not long sessions. They're effective because they're efficient. And if you are pushing yourself in regards to RPE, rate of perceived exertion, if you're getting close to failure, you know, you're actually progressing over time, great things happen, and you don't have to be in the gym very long. You just have to push it hard, be effective, be smart with the movements you're choosing, and get the most out of the time that you're in there. And it's about so much more than exercise selection. It's about so much more than the movements that you're choosing. A lot of people, I think, sort of take their own approach to their training programming, and some of it may be fine, um, but most, more often than not, if you have not become a certified personal trainer, if you don't have some sort of professional background in creating a quality training program, you're likely missing a lot of gaps here. And I think a lot of people think a training program is just what workout split they're doing and their exercises and their sets and reps. Um, when in reality, there is so much more to consider than just those things. So understand that if you do not have that background, it is okay. And we recommend following a program from somebody who does. So, end rant. Number four, move your body. So this is not your workout. We're not talking about moving your body. This is something we discuss with new clients. You know, people will come to us doing all the training days and then they go back to the office chair and then they come home and they watch Netflix or read a book before bed. If you are not moving throughout the day, you are not maximizing anything in regards to longevity, overall health, vitality throughout the day. So you cannot consider this checkbox of movement of activity completed when you finish your workout. This is little things, getting up once an hour to do a couple laps around the house or the office, a longer walk at lunchtime, parking farther away when you go to the store, moving your body, the more the better. Um, I actually just had a, a call with a client um, a couple weeks ago. She mentioned that a previous coach had told her to start moving less. Like it was, it was pretty excessive. I don't want to say excessive. That's not the right word. It was significantly higher than most of us, but she was talking that, you know, based on her job and you know, the things that she enjoys, she likes to run while she lifts and you know, she likes doing everything. She's well-rounded. She typically moves 20,000 steps per day. She's like, do I have to stop? Like I enjoy doing all these things. I feel really good. And I told her as long as biofeedback approves, we don't have to drop that down. I move 20,000 steps a day. There are days when I move close to 30,000 steps a day. As long as you're recovering well, as long as you're eating enough, 
that's fine. And the reason that, you know, we talk about 7,000 as a minimum to get out of the sedentary lifestyle category, the reason even that number sounds higher, 10,000 steps, 10,000 steps a day, it's a goal. I want to get to that goal of 10,000 steps per day. It's not that much. It just seems like such a high number because we don't fucking move anymore. We work at a desk. We're not on our feet all Most of us, we're not on our feet all day. 10,000 steps is a very, if you took a 10,000 step walk, what is that? Four miles, five miles? I don't even know what the calculation mm, is. I don't know. But I was going to say, and it, oftentimes, like we don't move a lot anymore, but we're just as busy, obviously much busier than we used to be as well. So it feels like we're doing a lot and we're exhausted and we're constantly running ourselves into the ground. But driving back and forth places and, you know, doing a lot of things that don't require actual movement can be just as exhausting. You're still not getting enough movement in. Like there was one day a couple weeks ago where I don't even remember what Kai and I were doing. We like went to Target. We did a bunch of errands. I felt like I was just zonked and I was like, oh, I must have hit like 15,000 steps. And I looked at my phone and it was like five. (laughs) And it's just because, you know, we're busy. Busy does not equal movement. And you have to pay attention to that and have awareness around that because it's like tracking macros. I guarantee if you're not paying attention or tracking your steps in some way, you're probably not taking as much as you think you are. So, you know, it's really important to find ways to just sprinkle this movement in throughout your day. I put a post up on our SD Evolution Instagram page today, giving you guys some ideas, whether you work from home, whether you work in an office, whether you are on the road a lot or a stay-at-home mom. Um, you know, there's different examples in there if you want to go find that post. But, you know, there's there's not one right way to go about extra movement. You don't have to just have that really long morning walk or you know, have a morning and evening walk. There are so many different ways you can implement that in and sprinkle that in throughout your day. And I think it's more beneficial to have it sprinkled in rather than just getting it all in in one shot. But you have to make it fit your life. At the at the end of it all, it has to fit your life and your schedule right now, which will obviously change and need to be adapted over time. We talk a lot about teaching Kai by example, showing him the habits that we have in place, the training, how we eat. Our routine also includes Kai. We wake up in the morning, we have breakfast or even before breakfast. Uh, Lately, he's been getting up early. So we'll do our morning walk, get our morning sunlight. We go up to the stop sign, come back. After dinner, as a family, we walk the other way. We go down the hill to the cul-de-sac, come back up. Those two walks alone probably get us 3,000 steps per day. No more. I think the one the one down to the cul-de-sac got me, I think, close to 3,000 last night. So 5,000. Yeah. And that's in, that's in two, that's in a 10-minute walk and a 15-minute walk. It's not that hard. If you're not moving throughout the day, create a habit that allows you to get this nice chunk, this nice bonus. We talk about 7,000 steps as a minimum. That is literally the minimum to no longer be considered in a sedentary lifestyle. To where you're no longer doing things that are debt or not doing things that are detrimental to your health because you're not moving enough. You are just you are just eclipsing that category at seven thousand steps. Now you're starting to see benefits, and I know people will tell you, you know you start seeing benefits at whatever, and it really peaks at ten thousand steps per day. Move your body. That's the moral of the story. Move your body. Now getting back to fat loss, a little bonus. We're talking about compounding things into your routine to maximize. So we're being efficient about these things, right? We're not trying to stack a bunch of new things. 
um, that just take away from everything else going on in life. So if you are a fan of morning walks, if you are in a fat loss phase, a nice little bonus is that if you do that morning walk fasted, you can actually increase your lipolysis. So using fat for fuel, um, the reason for that is you're walking. It's a lower intensity exercise. It's not even exercise. I won't even put it in that category, but it's a lower intensity movement. Um, so it's, it's muscle protecting while utilizing primarily fats for fuel. Once you start eating, you're removing glycogen from your system. So it's still great for balancing blood sugars, but as a nice little bonus, um, you know, a low intensity walk before you eat breakfast is a nice way to just kind of compound on that fat loss effect. And then just touching on cardio quickly here under movement, um, you know, I'd say this is something we have evolved our perspective on over the years. Um, cardio is essential for our overall health. We all should know that by now. There is, of course, a fine line when you're doing too much cardio, not enough of your energy is going into resistance training or you're just doing too much cardio for what you're consuming. But most of us are sedentary. Most of us are probably not falling into that camp. So, you know, just the basic cardio guidelines that you should aim for is what this is what the ACASM, American College of Sports Medicine, recommends. You can kind of adapt it and make it fit your life. But, you know, 30 minutes of moderate intensity cardio five times per week or 20 minutes of vigorous cardio three times per week. Um, Again, this is going to depend on how this sort of fits into your schedule to what your other aspects of training are but at to some extent you should be doing some cardio and not in the sense that if I'm doing this cardio I can eat more food or if I'm doing this cardio I'm going to lose body fat a lot faster you you might if your nutrition's in the right place but cardio should not be the number one priority when it comes to fat loss like your nutrition is dictating that your cardio is supporting that along with resistance training. So all, now, all three matter. Those are the ACSM guidelines. I would say more realistic and plenty effective is about an hour and a half in zone two per week. And then another 20 minutes of some high intensity stuff, some interval stuff where you're spiking your heart rate. So rather than, you know, two and a half hours, if you can get just under two, you're in great shape. Um, and that's a little more manageable in regards to a couple 45 minute sessions or, if you sprinkle in 20 minutes after you know a handful of workouts throughout the week, then you're in pretty good shape there. Number five, and this is one that we can all benefit from from today, regardless of the phase that you're in, fat loss, maintenance, bulking. Cut out the bullshit. If you're serious about your health, if you want to make significant changes, and if you're in a place where you're you know managing and maintaining where you're at because you're comfortable, great, you have more flexibility. But if you have some serious changes to make, then make them. Cut out the bullshit. Cut out the ridiculous amount of processed foods that you're consuming. Cut out the excessive alcohol. I, had a, I forget who I was talking to the other day, but a friend of theirs hired a coach and the coach had told them, hey, if you're going to drink, just drink two days in a row because your body is going to be slowed down metabolically for those two days. Because if you stack them together, you can just eliminate those two days. Those are the two days where nothing's really happening as opposed to drinking one day, taking a day off, drinking another day, and now you spread this out over a few different days. Why is the recommendation to drink two days in a row? Why isn't it to ju- not to just stop fucking drinking until you get to where you want to be? Or maybe drink on the special occasion, maybe once a week, maybe once a month. 
or not fucking at all? Like, why does there have to be an excuse to be made? Why does alcohol have to be that, that coping mechanism? And I'm not, I say I'm not anti-alcohol. I'm kind of transitioning more towards being that because a lot of us are just proving that it's not serving us in any way, shape, or form. It's just... Uh, there's zero benefit to there it. There's no benefit to it. Um, and that, I mean, that's why you're seeing a handful of your favorite influencers. Oh, I don't drink anymore. I don't drink anymore. I feel incredible, blah, blah, blah. Whether you drink or not, cool. If you want to make significant changes, first of all, alcohol physically is not helping you at all. It is a huge hurdle. Mentally, it's fucking you up and you're probably waking up lazy and you're wasting a day or you're wasting a couple days recovering from that previous night. It is not serving you or your goals or your ambitions. It's holding you back in several different ways. So if you are using it as a coping mechanism and you say, oh, it's in moderation. I only drink a couple times a week, a few times a week, multiple times per week, but it's only a drink or two. They're just excuses. You're just making excuses. It's a simple speed boost to get to where you want to be in several different areas by cutting it out for this period of time. And maybe you sprinkle it back in once you achieve those goals and you want to do so in moderation. Cool. If you feel like shit and you drink, what the fuck are you doing? I have these conversations all the time. My gut is off. Do you drink alcohol? Yeah. What are you doing? You don't, need to, you don't need supplements yet. Don't go to the doctor yet. Stop drinking. You're literally creating inflammation in your gut as you're dealing with gut issues. That's like I got a big, if I cut my arm and I just dump alcohol on it, it keeps burning, but I'm going to dump more alcohol on it. I'm still using alcohol as this example. Can you get that? Oh, it's burning. Why does my arm burn? I'm going to keep pouring alcohol on my arm. You're doing that to your gut. You're doing that to everything else within your body. And if you're feeling defensive listening to that and you're happy with drinking alcohol and you're happy with how you feel and you're happy with your body composition, then that doesn't apply to you. It's okay to not take that information. Exactly. But for those who are, are unhappy not where you be. and you're not where you want to be and you have things you want to achieve and you want to feel better, then you need to, you need to just man up and listen to it. And the processed foods, same kind of example. The processed foods I have a little more sympathy for just because – they are all around us. It is the quick, convenient food, um, but we, we're here to bring awareness to the shit. So it is not going to be more expensive. You just have to be more creative when it comes to consuming whole foods, to make them enjoyable, to make them tasty, to make yourself look forward to them. You know, we've made this a huge point, you know, over the years, we've, you know, done a very good job with this, but more recently, like to not even have the small bowl of ice cream every other night, to make it, to make it the special occasion because it doesn't serve us. We don't feel great. And now when you make this transition to consuming primarily whole foods, when you have a meal out or you have some junk food or you have a bowl of this or that, that's not the best choice. It's not the end of the world in moderation again, but it's not the best choice. Like I feel it immediately. I'm like, this is why I felt like shit all the time. I had one bowl of ice cream this week and I did not feel good after that. When we are putting these things in our body regularly, it kind of gets diluted in the sense that we don't understand the effect it's having on us. Um, but once you get into the routine of, you know, eating the right things, having these foods serve your body and your goals, you notice the difference immediately once you kind of revert a little bit. And again, in moderation, not a big deal. When you want to achieve something significant, you've really got to buckle down. Uh, but to the same extent, when you learn how to make these foods taste good and you enjoy them, and you enjoy the process, it becomes an experience. It's a huge plus. And then things like fruit, 
like a big old fruit salad we keep in the fridge. We've had that in a fridge for like two weeks straight. Like that's dessert. Like I'll have that after meals. I'll have that before bed, not before bed, but after my, my dinner, that's my, my dessert. And I enjoy it. I'm not craving anything else. Maybe we do that with some dark chocolate and that's, a, that's a special treat and you feel great, you feel great the next day. And this is coming from someone who's dealt with gut issues for a decade, serious gut issues. And the best thing I could do is, is eat quote unquote clean but it's just eating nutrient-dense whole foods is the biggest thing. And even as somebody who has not had any gut issues really over the last decade, I have a pretty strong gut. Um, I noticed it too. Like we had, when we ordered out, we got pizza, I think last week or the week before. And I felt terrible after pizza night. And that's not even like the worst thing in the world for you. So it just goes to show that your choices matter. And I guarantee if you're choosing a lot of snacks and packaged foods and processed foods throughout your day, I guarantee your fiber intake is not where it needs to be and your sugar intake is way over what it needs to be. It's just, it's mind-blowing how many different packaged healthy quote-unquote foods have so much added sugar and this is something that Josh has sort of made me more aware of, just buying snacks for Kai, but in Again, we're not against sugar. We're not sugar Nazis, but we are for making better choices majority of the time. And when you're buying your kids all of these different snacks that they're having two or three different kinds of snacks throughout the day, that adds up quick. And then we wonder why they're bouncing off the walls because of all this added sugar that they have. So just be aware of your choices and at the very least, focus on all the whole foods that you can be adding in rather than just cutting all of the processed stuff out. Focus on the additions. And going back to the body comp point of this, this conversation, I'm eating, I'm back up to 3,000 calories a day, which is typically right around my maintenance. Um, I, start, I start gaining weight around 32, 3,300 calories, and I'll max out anywhere, you know, upwards of 4,000 plus calories um, at my heaviest. Right now, I'm at 3,000 calories. I'm gaining strength again. I'm putting my size back on. And I'm staying lean because as I'm doing this, as I'm making quality choices, first of all, my body's utilizing these foods better because they're loaded with nutrients. They're more bioavailable. I'm also not creating this inflammation and I'm also not dealing with the fatigue. So I'm moving more. I'm feeling better. I can train better. I can train harder. Choosing foods that serve us versus foods that are comfort foods in the moment but are literally weighing us down. This is what I'm talking about. So I'm eating more and staying lean versus if I eat the same amount of calories, but they were all from Pop-Tarts for an extreme example. I would feel like shit. I wouldn't be training great. I wouldn't be recovering great. I wouldn't be sleeping great. So whether you want to argue calorie for calorie, what's the difference? What you feel and your mood and your performance and your movement throughout the day based on how you feel, those are all affected by your choices. So this may have been a more aggressively toned podcast episode. Just some tough love. It's some tough love. It's time to wake up a little bit. It's time to stop making excuses. Our country is sick. Our country is overweight and our country is not getting better. So, you know, playing nice all the time clearly isn't getting the message across. And we do this with love. We do this to bring awareness. We do this to give you a little kick in the pants when you need it. Um, but we understand it's not going to be an overnight 
switch that you just flip. And if you are struggling implementing these things, like a lot of a lot of you guys might know all of these five tips, but if you're struggling actually taking action and making moves, that is why we do one-on-one coaching. That is why we are here. So a little bit of a, a heads up is we are opening up the waitlist for coaching. You guys will be listening to this on Thursday. So we are opening up on Monday to the public, but our waitlist gets day is that? our waitlist gets first dibs tomorrow, which is Friday, June or is 28th. it the first? No, today's the twenty seventh. You said tomorrow. Tomorrow's the twenty eighth. They're listening to this on Thursday. Oh. So June thirtieth, Friday. The waitlist will get first dibs to book a call for coaching. Our applications are open. It's free to book a call. It We don't require you to pay over the phone. We just want to give you all the info on how we can help you. So if you want to have a free consult call with Josh, you can click the link in the show notes. It will take you to our waitlist. So get your name on the waitlist and you'll get that email Friday. Otherwise, we open to the public on Monday the 3rd. If you miss it somehow, um, but you know, that's, again, that is why we're here. We're here to help you. We're here to help you feel better and live your best life. So take it or leave it. And for those who are not aware, uh, we actually have a quiz in the middle of our homepage on our site. So if you go to sd-evolution.com and it'll be linked in the show notes, scroll down halfway, it'll say, take the quiz. Um, if you're not sure if you would be a better fit for the app versus one-to-one coaching, you can take that quiz and it will point you in the right direction. Basically about accountability, what your history is in regards to going through a program. Do you know what you should be doing? Do you need that personal guidance? Do you need that accountability? Um, Take that quiz. And if you qualify, quote unquote, if it recommends the app or it recommends the coaching, but you're leaning the other way, you're not locked into that. It's just saying based on those quick answers, if you were 50-50, Here's our, our recommendation on the spot. So middle of our homepage, take the quiz if you are interested. But we're going to wrap this one up here. Where can they find you? I'm at Alessandra Skutnik. I'm at Josh Skutnik. Everything else is linked in the show notes.